Go ahead and grab your Bibles. We're going to be starting this morning in the book of Ruth. Ruth is about, oh, seven or eight books into the Old Testament. Right after you, right after you uh, page through the book of Judges, you'll come upon Ruth. Or you can ignore all that and go to the table of contents. Or if you're like me, you did so many Bible drills uh, when you were a kid in Christian school that you can almost do it blindfolded. And that's not something I'm trying to brag about right now. Um, <laughs> But we're going to be starting our seven-week journey through uh, the book of Ruth. This is going to take us all the way to Christmas Eve. It's going to take us through uh, what we usually do uh, starting at the beginning of December, which is our series through Advent. So uh, that's going to be what the book of Ruth is. And one of the reoccurring themes that we're going to see as we go through this book is that God reveals Himself in the areas of our life where we experience ruin, okay? And areas that we don't have the vision to see His redemptive hands and heart at work. And this is going to be one of the reoccurring themes that we just see threaded all the way uh, through this book over the next uh, seven weeks. So with that, let's bow our heads. Let's pray for our time together this morning. God, we pray that You would do that. You would reveal Yourself to us now through Your Word so that our minds and hearts become ever in awe of Your unending grace, what we just sang about a few moments ago, Lord. Let us be ever reminded that You are a God who is always there and always in control. And we ask that You would humble our hearts in that this morning, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, one of the questions that I want to lead out with this morning, and I hope that I'm going to be able to answer as we go through the first 18 verses of the first chapter of Ruth is this. Do we believe God is in control in the even whens? In the even whens. And what I mean by that is this. Even when uh, we make wrong decisions and we suffer the consequences of those wrong decisions. Do we believe God is in control even when we can't see Him working? So that is one of the things that we are going to really lay into this morning as we dive into the first chapter of Ruth. And what we're going to see is that even when we can't see it, God provides glimpses of grace despite the decisions we make and the consequences that come. And in the book of Ruth, what's great about it is it helps us understand where God is during the plot twists of our life stories that we absolutely don't have a clue are going to end or even what's around the next corner. I remember my grandma who I affectionately called Grams my whole life while she was alive. At one point when I was really young, she gave me this book for my birthday. It was one of these custom books where they design it and have you and all of your friends and your family as like the, the main characters in the book. So as a kid, man, I just loved this book because even back then I was a little narcissistic, if I'm being honest. And I loved reading about myself with my brothers and sisters and our friends, taking us through this journey or this tale of whatever it was and getting to the end. Um, but one of the things that I loved about the book was that I always knew what was going to happen next, right? Here's the rub. We don't know what happens next in our life stories. And the unknowingness can just be paralyzing, right? It can be scary for us. The one thing we do know, though, as believers, is that God knows, right? And in His goodness, He gives us glimpses of grace that allow us to face our stories with just a growing faith in His providential care for us. So today, what we're going to do and what we're going to look into is the story of two women 
who struggle to see God's grace as their lives are just plunged into ruin. And then we're going to finish that story by asking how we can locate glimpses of God's grace in our own lives. So if you're to Ruth, we're going to pick up in chapter 1, and I'm going to read and you can follow along, and it says this, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Aphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there, but Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. And these took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years, and both Malan and Chilion died, so that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband." Verse 6, then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. Verse 10, and they said to her, No, we will remain with you. We will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even I should have a husband this, this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept Again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. And may the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. And that is the word of the Lord. Now if you look down on verse 1, right from the top, it says, in the days when judges uh, ruled, there was uh, famine. So if you went back to the very last chapter and last verse of the book of Judges, which is the book that comes right before Ruth, you would read this verse. In the days when the judges ruled, um, in those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So what we know about this particular period of Israelite history is that this was a time of instability for the people. This was a time of rebellion, a time of idolatry and apostasy for the Israelites. This was before Israel had a king. So God would 
raise up a judge to deliver the people from foreign oppression. But as soon as the judge died, this funny thing would happen in that Israel would fall back into idolatry and corruption. So this is the period of unsettledness that the book of Ruth takes place in as we're hearing all of the thunder and lightning unsettling us right now outside. Um, but as we look down in verse 1 through 5, this is what we're going to see as we move through the text. Is we're going to see two glimpses of grace that God specifically showers upon Naomi. And we're going to see the first one here as we get into the text. And we look down in verse 1. The first thing that pops out to us is that there's no food. Okay, there's no food. Um, this is how the book of Ruth begins for us, with a famine. A man named Elimelech. And I feel like I'm just going to screw up that name. I've said it right three times. I'm on a roll right now. But a man named Elimelech packs up his wife and his two sons and moves to the country of Moab because they need to eat. It's not complicated, right? I remember back in the day, um, I actually grew up in a, in a more rural community uh, out in Southern California. And at one point, man, everything that could go wrong uh, in our family went wrong uh, economically. My dad lost his business. We lost our house. Um, all of our possessions started getting repossessed. At some point, we had to move because he just barely found another job and we could not afford the things we had and the things we did have were being taken away. We just had to get out of Dodge because we needed to eat. We didn't have anything. We were downed to nothing. And so what we see here is a desperate move by a desperate dad who leaves Israel, the land of promise, and relocates his family to a place called Moab, which was a, a pagan land that had been really hostile to Israel uh, over the years. Now, this would have been uh, an ill-advised move, right? So in other words, if Elimelech would have went uh, before the Lord, if he would have prayed, if he went and gotten good counsel from his pastor or his community, they would have said, yeah, we don't recommend that you go to this foreign land of unbelievers. We don't recommend that you place yourself under foreign rule. So what about you? What does that bring up in your mind or in your heart when you read about the move that Elimelech just pulled? Maybe some of you are experiencing a famine of sorts in your life. It can be a famine of food or maybe of health or money or relationships or marriage or parenting or maybe it's a, a famine of a job you just need to find some work maybe you feel a profound lack in some area of your life and you found that you've made decisions like Elimelech that at the end of the day what they reveal is a distrust in God to provide the very thing that you are lacking and it's hard and what's hard to overcome in our hearts in those moments is that nagging feeling that somehow God is going to get back at you when you make the wrong choice, okay? Which means your decisions and your consequences hang over your head kind of like an angry God, right? So the question now becomes for you is one, whether God has control over your decisions and two, if God cares about you in the consequences of the decisions that you've made. Because what we see here when we look at Elimelech is we see a family suffering consequences for their decision to move to Moab. Right? When you look down on verse 3, man, we're not told how, but eventually Elimelech dies. And he leaves his wife Naomi with their two sons, Malon and Chilion, who then marry two unbelieving Moabite women named Orpah 
and Ruth. Yes, I thought it was Oprah when I first read it myself. I know what you guys are thinking right now. So in other words, the picture that we want to kind of get painted here for us is that um, if things weren't bad enough, already after Pops dies, uh, Naomi's two sons die in verse 5, and we're left with this profound statement where it says, Naomi was left without Man, could that describe moments in your life where you feel like, man, I just feel like everything's been stripped away. I feel like everything's been taken away. Or I feel like a couple of key things have been taken away. And I just feel like I'm left without. There's a vacancy. There's a vacancy. And these are things that I loved and these are things that I needed. And these were things that helped me flourish in life. In 10 years' time, Naomi's world is turned totally upside down. 10 years. A famine causes her to lose her home, then her husband, then her sons. She's a widow now. She has a different place in society. She has no family now. She has no source of income. This is what we would call a devastating loss. If this happened to us or we had a friend or another family member of who this happened to, when life seems to just go from bad to worse and we don't understand. Some of you have experienced this kind of loss and it just feels empty and it feels desperate. This was Naomi. Everything had been taken. Life had completely bottomed out for her. But... Then we see this first glimpse of God's grace in verse 6. If you put your eyes down there in verse 6, word comes back that the Lord had visited her people and given them food. So what we see just right at the very beginning, after suffering these kind of debilitating losses, that God had not forgotten Naomi. After all, she had lost almost Everything. Nobody debates that. It's right there. It's in black and white. But God had not lost his ability to restore things either. So Naomi begins her journey back home and leaves this wretched land that had stolen everything she knew and loved. And what struck me about this as I was studying this week was that, gosh, returning home would be hard, wouldn't it? After 10 years, returning home would be difficult. Having to go back, barren of everything that you once had, you'd think, how am I going to face my friends and relatives? How many times am I going to have to tell the story of what happened to me? And yet, nevertheless, in her grief, Naomi takes a step of faith in verse 7, and she returns to the land of promise. From a land of foreign gods, she returns to her God. So even in Naomi's ruin, and this is ruin, we see God bringing restoration to the land of Judah and calling her back. And so we see this first glimpse of grace in Naomi's life. You can return home because there is food now. The famine has gone away. But we see a second glimpse as we look down at these verses as well. Verses 8 through 16. A couple things happen as Naomi starts her journey back home in verse 8. Her daughter-in-laws, they pick up and they, they go with her. 
But at some point, she stops and she urges them to go back to their mother's house, and they refuse. And, you know, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, but, I mean, Naomi must have been like mother-in-law of the year, you know, for the daughters-in-law to be like, no way, we're not going anywhere. We're sticking with you. I've had different experiences in that, and I'm just going to cut it right there. I'm just going to cut it right there. I mean, Naomi's like, do the math, ladies. I'm too old to help you. She goes, if I got married tonight, she sets up a hypothetical form. She says, if I got married tonight, had two kids, and they happen to be sons, we're talking years before they could become your husbands. So Naomi urges them to go home and begin a new life. They were young enough to reestablish themselves back home in their homeland. She cares about them because it says that they had cared for her so well because they had dealt kindly with her after the death of her husband and sons. But Naomi is in the kind of place where she believes she's out of options, right? She doesn't think she has anything left to offer. She believes her daughter-in-laws are suffering because God's hand is against her. So what's interesting about this is Naomi, we see, finally acknowledges God in her life. But what surfaces in her belief of Him is bitterness when we look down at verse 13. So here's the truth. Here's something we want to think about and process. The consequences of our decisions have an impact on others. That is an inevitability for us. But here's what we forget, okay? We also forget that God is working in others through the consequences of our decisions. We forget that that's the way that He works in other people who are affected by the things that have maybe gone sour in our lives. In other words, if you make a decision that has a negative effect on a friend or a loved one, and you all have, this is part of the plan that God is unfolding in their lives too, right? And we don't think of it often that way. We think that man, anything that we might have to go through, any negative or adverse effect that we are put through because of decisions that we've made that have either been unwise or ungodly somehow just escapes God's plan. It's kind of like parenting, isn't it? Like our natural desire is to shield and protect our kids from any negative consequences that they might face from decisions that they make instead of believing that God will use those consequences to grow them in grace, grow them in faith, grow them in resilience, right? That's how we offer our kids faith. Naomi had faith to offer these grieving daughter-in-laws, which is what Ruth receives as we look down at verses 14 through 16. The daughter-in-laws, they weep with Naomi. They, they loved her. They wanted to stay with her but Orpah ends up honoring the request of her mother-in-law by returning home. But Ruth, it's a little bit of a different story. Ruth, it says, clings to Naomi. Ruth decides against leaving. Ruth decides against going back to her people and her gods. She promises to stay with Naomi in verse 16 and to commit herself to Naomi's home, to Naomi's people, and most significantly to Naomi's God. This was the second glimpse of God's grace in Naomi's life, the salvation of Ruth. Here Naomi was sojourning in this godless land for 10 years, suffering 
immeasurable loss, yet having no idea that God was using her tragedies to bring Ruth, a Gentile unbeliever, into the land of promise to become part of the covenant community of God. And far more than that, as we'll see in weeks to come. It was a turn of events that was going to change everything as we're going to see as we get through this series. So that's just a snapshot of what we see as we open up the book of Ruth and we see the predicament that Naomi finds herself after 10 years. How can we then locate glimpses of God's grace in our own lives? How can we locate those glimpses? Because sometimes we're in the middle of things, it's really hard and it's cloudy and it's murky. We don't see Him working and when we don't see something, we tend to shut off and not believe that it's actually happening. But yet when we look into this story, we find that that's absolutely not true in the economy of a God who is never not working. So how can we locate glimpses of God's grace? Here's three ways. Number one, by seeing God's control over your consequences. By seeing God's control over your consequences. Isaiah 59.1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens. He does all that He pleases. Psalm 97.9 says, For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. That's lowercase g. Ephesians 4 verses 5 through 6 says, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. That kind of sums it up, doesn't it? God has control over the consequences of every decision that you and I will ever make. Your decisions, listen, your decisions and your consequences are not God. They're not God. But in His sovereignty, God uses the consequences of your decisions for good. He uses the death of some things in your life to resurrect other things. I remember when my dad died in 2007. I was at a crossroads spiritually in terms of every other part of my life. I was at a crossroads. He died suddenly. Nobody knew it was going to happen. God used his death, which I had no control over, to allow areas of my life that I didn't trust and believe Him to finally come back to life. He used that moment in my life. God always has control over the uncontrollable consequences of yours and my decisions. And we don't see this any more clearly than we look at Christ and the cross, right? All of the seemingly just wicked uncontrollable events that led to the consequence that was the cross were under God's sovereign control. There was never a moment that it wasn't going swimmingly along to His plan. And through His death, we have life. That's our consequence. So we can locate glimpses of God's grace by seeing God's control over our consequences too. 
by seeing God's face through the faithfulness of others. By seeing God's face through the faithfulness of others. God brought a daughter-in-law from a questionable marriage into Naomi's life. She experienced the face of God through Ruth's faithfulness. Look closely at those that God has faithfully used and continues to use in your life to reveal His face. And I remember at the time of my dad's death, there was just three men where I just so clearly experienced the grace of God. The first one was one of my pastors, a guy named Robert Campbell. It was the morning after he died. We're all gathered at my mom's house. I got all my brothers and sisters, many of who aren't believers, in one corner. I'm, I'm in the back just standing, staring. I don't know what I was doing. I receive a phone call from Robert. I said, hello. He was the first one that called. And this is what he said. Ronnie. That's all he said. And it just broke me down. And I felt loved. And I felt like here is somebody that is there that is showing me the grace of God. Nobody else in the house that day received a phone call from their pastor. Because most of them didn't have one. But through that phone call, I experienced the face and the faithfulness of God. I remember when we sat down on the Sunday morning before the funeral. We had to go to church. We didn't want to go to church. We knew a lot of people knew. We knew our community group knew. It was one of those things where we, we were just emotionally, just uh, in, we were a wreck. We didn't want to face the questions. We didn't want to face the, the, the pitying looks. All of those things that just surface in those moments. And so we walk in and we sit in a place that we never sit. We were always in the front. We always sat in the front because we're better than everybody else. <laughs> but this particular Sunday, we sat in the middle. We just grabbed a row in the middle. And about five minutes before the service starts, our entire community group finds us in the middle row, surrounds us, sits next to us. And I remember the pastor, a guy named Mark, was standing up there and he just said, some of you are experiencing death this morning and God knows that and God is here. And it broke us down. I experienced God's face through the faithful word of another brother. And then I remember my community group leader. I remember the funeral was held uh, at a military base. My dad was a Navy guy under a big pavilion. And uh, about two minutes before the funeral, here comes my community group leader, a guy named Kimani from Kenya, literally leading our entire community group over the hill down into the pavilion. They'd never met my dad. But they knew us. And in that moment, they showed us the face of God and reminded us of the faithfulness of His grace. That was a glimpse of God's grace in our life that carried us through those times. So we locate glimpses of God's grace by seeing it through the faithfulness of others. And finally, by seeing God's foresight in hindsight. By the time we get to the end of Ruth, both Naomi and Ruth would be able to look back in hindsight and see God's gracious foresight in their lives. And this can be you. This can be me 
if we have the faith to pause and to look back and recount God's wondrous workings in those moments of our life. And the next time, we may be that much quicker to trust Him. I remember the story of Joseph when Joseph gets to the end of his life and all of the craziness that he had been through because decisions had been made on behalf of his life that just drove him into just unimaginable consequences. What most of us would look at and say, man, you've wasted half your life in prison because somebody had it out for you and it happened to be his brothers. And after everything got worked out and resolved, he makes this amazing, amazing observation to his brothers who were a little afraid because he had risen to a place of prominence in the land that he had been held captive. He said, you meant evil against me, bros, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive. So Joseph was able to look back and see every circumstance of his life and see that God was not absent from any of it. And that's what we see here in the story of Naomi and Ruth. You know, it's interesting when I talk to older saints, I think about Dave Durlin. Many of you knew Dave. He was one of our previous elders. He moved to Delaware. Um, it's interesting to talk to people that have walked, to the, walked with the Lord for a long time because one of the characteristics is that they panic so much less. I was constantly panicking to Dave. And Dave would just be like, Brother, it's, it's okay. Pass the cream, you know? I'm angsting, and I, it's just nuts, you know what I mean? I'm literally falling apart at the mill, you know? And, and Dave's just like, like, I just don't see what the big deal is. Like, what is, does somehow God lose control overnight? Is there, did something happen, you know? Is there a new chapter in the Bible that talks about, like, God's inabilities that I haven't read yet? And he said, no. He said, I know you don't know what the future is. He said, I don't know either, but we know that God knows and as I look back over the last 15 years, what's so interesting, if I reflect on my life, is that if God wouldn't have ended some relationships that were really difficult, if God wouldn't have let some opportunities run dry that, oh, they were good, and I had my grip around them, if He wouldn't have brought a job or two to a close that I thought I couldn't live without, it's doubtful to me that I would be speaking to you all right now and receiving the kind of grace that I've experienced from you in Ashland and in Worcester. Look back today at God's gracious foresight in your life. And start with the cross because God's foresight is never more evident than when we look back at the cross and see that everything God planned came to pass for Christ so that we might have a past to look back on because of our glorious future ahead of us. So I pray that the Holy Spirit illuminates the providence of God, His caring heart to your hearts this morning so that we have a deeper belief and assurance that God is always at work. He's always unfolding His plan for His people in ways that sometimes man, they just aren't immediately obvious but they always bear testimony to His character as a loving, caring, protective Father who, by the way, has a flawless track record for restoration. Now, 
This doesn't mean that tragedy loses its tragicness, right? This is, I'm not preaching some kind of triumphalism. Man, we are all in the dirt and in the mess of life. It doesn't mean that the holes that loss leaves become automatically filled. It's that through the holes, we finally see that God's shadow was always looming. He was always right there, and we realize He's never not been there. And by the way, it's okay in your grief and in your wondering to ask that question. If you don't believe me, read the Psalms, where David goes, What the heck, God? Where are you? Do you exist in my life? Because when I back up and I look around, I don't see it. I don't see you. It's okay to ask that question in your grief. What's not okay is to invent your own answers that put God's character into question. And even when you do that, God's grace still abounds for you. What we see today in Ruth is that God is always faithful in our famines. Why do we know this? Because He sent Jesus to a foreign land full of other gods to die a death so that we would not have to die in the famine of our sin, but could return to the heavenly home that Jesus now prepares for all who receive His broken body and shed blood as their spiritual renewal. God always provides glimpses of grace in the even whens. Even when we can't see Him working, even when we make wrong decisions and suffer the consequences. That's the God we serve. That's the God of Substance Church. I'm going to finish with a quote from Charles Spurgeon. This is a paraphrased quote from a sermon he wrote called The Happy Christian. And it says, God is too good to be unkind and too wise to be mistaken. But when we cannot trace His hand, we must trust His heart. Amen? Let's pray. God, we can't always trace Your hand. But when we look in the story of Naomi and Ruth here, we see that just because our eyes don't have a vision to see clearly where You are at work, it doesn't mean that You are not at work, Lord. So we thank You even for those moments where we feel like our sight is obscured because we know that that is the very way that You are going to work in our hearts to open our eyes to be a more trusting church. Lord, I pray for those of us who are experiencing famines right now in our own life and we feel like we have suffered loss and we are living without like Naomi was. Lord, I pray that Your peace and Your grace would just overwhelm the hearts of those who are experiencing that right now. That they would be drawn back to the truth and the beauty and the comfort and the reassurance that You are still in control. You are still a caring, loving, protective Father that only allows us to go through things that would bring us more deeply to the knowledge of those truths and the deepness and dearness of that comfort. Lord, do such a work in our church, Lord, I pray in Christ's name. Amen.